0: Coming up today in Money and Me, are NASDAQ stocks really overvalued? How are big banks' earnings stacking up this quarter? We'll take a look at the banks over in the U.S. Then we'll switch gears. China's economy looks like it's bouncing back from the virus slump. How is it doing? And speaking of bouncing back, gold uh, looks like it's on the up and up, up 25% this year. Where is the price of gold going? And in Europe, well, there seems to be a lack of uh, tech IPOs that are flourishing, European startups may be factoring concerns about their abilities to raise large amounts of follow-up capital um, into the decision. So, w- is there a lesson there for investors? We're going to put all these questions to our guest today. Swapnil Mishra is Head of Private Wealth at Crystal AI. How are you, Swapnil? Good morning. Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Good How to are you? have you here. Great. So, listen, the tech... Uh, the Nasdaq, when we look at the Nasdaq, uh, it's in, we ask, has it hit record highs before the rough patch in September? And how are some of its biggest companies being valued after recent volatility? What do you think? Are tech stocks really overvalued?
1: I think the, the, the true test for the overvaluation will be seen as they start rolling out with the earnings. And we saw the first uh, one of the big ones coming out. So Netflix was there last night. Aftermarket close,
0: not great, and
1: uh, the stock is already down because uh, quarter three. I think the the you know the the numbers didn't um, they didn't manage to beat the expectations in terms of the paid subscribers, and it's you know again it's something which is you know the economy is returning to normalcy. People are going back to work. Maybe they're not <laughs> going on to Netflix as much. Uh, so for all the tech companies, uh, we'll see in the in, in quarter three how they have fared. Uh, I think the other distinction that's emerging, and and I don't know whether, uh, uh, you know, like how it was in the dot-com era, so in the 1999, uh, when it was, you know, all party time, Hmm. uh, you had uh, these kind of, you know, crazy valuations. If you see companies like Zoom or Beyond Meat, uh, these companies are, like, you know, they are pricing in a very, very strong growth uh, in, in future, and there's a lot of uncertainty still for them. So, so I would say the tech sector is split between your established companies, your Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Googles of the world, which, are, uh, which, which have a proven business. And then there's the speculative growth companies, which people love because they can deliver 40-50% return. So I think that's where the overvaluation is, is higher, and that's where the risk is as well.
0: Yeah, because usually you look at, of course, you know, the cash flow, the debt, the profits, but you also look at regulation. And it seems if we just take that case of the U.S. antitrust action against Google, investors seem to be brushing aside the concerns, right? Alphabet closing up 1.4% overnight. Uh, Other tech companies finishing higher as well, in spite of the fact that there are concerns that they could face similar antitrust actions over in the U.S. So I was looking at shares of Facebook up more than 2% overnight. Apple rose 1.5%. What do you make of regulations timing uh, the tech giants moving forward?
1: Actually, that's something which is really strange because if you go by the polls and if Biden is expected to come, you know, to win, then these companies should be under pressure Mm. because uh, they're, you know, so exactly, the kind of uh, uh, price action we are seeing and the the events we are seeing are not uh, aligning. And uh, at the same time, green energy stocks have gone up. So, you know, basically Biden is being priced in in these things, but uh, people love these stocks. I think, I think that's the fundamental. Uh, nobody can, like, there's no reason for somebody to say, I don't like Facebook or I don't like, uh, uh, you know, Google or uh, Microsoft. And I think that has kind of just kept the demand uh, going. At any price, there's a buyer.
0: Mm, unless you have subscribers and then people see your subscribers have fallen to 2 million from 8, 10 million, like Netflix's, yeah. then they get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's switch gears and look at big banks' earnings. How are they stack, stacking up this quarter in your book? Some of the big financial companies reported last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's J.P. Morgan, there's Goldman Sachs, the Citigroup. So uh, if you take the top three uh, which is uh, Goldman Sachs JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley these were the ones which beat and and not just beat i mean they had a thumping uh, you know performance uh, in terms of the numbers uh, on the back of uh, strong revenues from their trading desks both equity trading fixed income trading uh, and and these are banks where uh, consumer business dependency is very low and uh, you could see the impact on the consumer business side where your you know banks like um, Uh, even Citigroup to some extent faced that, uh, even in case of uh, Wells Fargo, uh, Bank of America, there, the net interest margin, because these are traditional banks and they don't have such a strong investment banking arm. So uh, the the low interest rate is hurting these banks a lot more. So even within the banks, we can see that these big ones uh, are seeing the recovery path. And if you see the financial sector as a whole, it is it is uh, recovering, but very a very gentle recovery. If you see the XLF, which is the uh, ETF that tracks these financials, it's uh, very slowly recovering. And uh, the outlook itself is not that great. So everyone has come out with some cautious outlook for the next quarter uh, because we are not completely out of the whole uh, coronavirus uh, slowdown and then banks are impacted.
0: Mm. Um, are, they, are they still, you know... In terms of the banks that you talked about, are there still opportunities in terms of being fundamentally superior stocks that are set to thrive in a new reality?
1: Yes, they'll definitely outperform uh, the consumer banks or the banks that are dependent on commercial real estate or who are hurt by the low interest rate environment because their revenues uh, are coming from uh, uh, you know stock trading, bond trading, and other, other businesses uh, within the bank. So there's a clear distinction between at the outperformance of these these kind of banks as in the big banks
0: All right. Speaking of performance, China's economy continues to grow at rates thought of unimaginable in other COVID-hit countries. Of course, as lockdown measures to control the virus seemingly combine really well with government stimulus, Uh, we're seeing growth of 4.9%. China's trade figures for September pointed to a strong recovery, exports growing by 9.9%. So do you think that this is the broadened recovery? The services sector is Rebounding. What lessons can we learn from from China's economic figures?
1: Actually, they have been so good that there are some people who have started getting suspicious about these <laughs> numbers. <laughs>
0: As so in uh, uh, how, uh,
1: uh, how accurate uh,
0: they are, how much you can take at so, face value. Yeah. Correct, correct.
1: So it's true good. And, and, you know, it's like that classic we... Where if somebody draws a V and if it's a bit, you know, if the if the recovery leg is a little bit short, uh-huh. you, know, you want to extend it and say, okay, let the V look perfect. And and we are they are pretty much there with the uh, with the China GDP uh, numbers. And uh, and and I think given that uh, I think there was this video on the Wuhan. Uh, there was some pool party where everyone is in the pool, and that went viral. And- <laughs> In Wuhan, is this a pool party yes, in, in Wuhan? Wuhan? Okay, googling that right there now. Is, uh, and, and that kind of is is, is, a, is a visual representation of how well China has recovered. Yeah. And um, I mean, even IMF has uh, changed their forecast. Earlier, uh, they were. I think they've done an update of about 0.9 uh, percentage uh, for uh, the expected growth for uh, this year. Uh, yeah. Because uh, you know, within within all the countries in the world, China is the one only one which has shown this recovery.
0: Yeah, we so, thought they were going to shine because a golden week. But if you look at the numbers, it looks like economic uh, recovery remains on the recovery path, right? Uh, do you think this? Yeah. What is this being driven by? Rebound in exports? Uh, so one is rebounding in exports
1: because uh, if you if you see. As a manufacturing hub, mm. China was the first country to open uh, to kind of you know g- the, get the factories open again so uh, so with the factories open uh, and with the demands coming back they were well set for capturing the export uh, there was concern that the uh, the demand is not being you know the exports is not being supported by spending and that's something which we have seen this time around where uh, for quarter three uh, spending has gone up and, and that is is kind of giving it a good uh, balance uh, in terms of the uh, recovery and uh, i would say from here on uh, the focus would shift to how much the growth uh, or the demand export demand can sustain would depend on the growth uh, in other parts of the world so the knee-jerk recovery was one thing between Mm -hmm. quarter two and quarter three but Mm -hmm. sustaining that would be uh, would depend On, on recovery in the rest of the world because that's where the demand, uh, you know, is it's for all their exports.
0: Any any countries in particular come to mind?
1: I would say U.S. itself would be yeah. a big one. Mm-hmm. So U.S. elections uh, will have an outcome over there as well as to how the you know the uh, trade discussions uh, evolve in the next uh, few months.
0: Yeah. Okay, we love hearing how investors think through contemporary issues. So let's take a look at gold. We've been looking a lot at precious metals. A couple of days ago, we did a show on the performance of silver. But today, let's look at the shine of gold. Since the start of the year, an ounce of the yellow metal has risen from $1,514 to today's $1,919.32. That is about a 25% rise. So it's outperforming the S T I. It outperformed the U S. Dow Jones Industrial Index. Outstripped the four percent rise in the M S C I World Index. Where is gold going? <laughs> gold is here to
1: stay. I, I mean, we have been talking about this since May. I remember in August. So yes, gold is
0: here to stay. Um, but why think, is think, gold think, going up at the <laughs> same time as Nasdaq? Do you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so, so one is gold is
1: very well supported by economic uncertainty. And, you know, classic textbook, low interest rate, economic uncertainty, and a weak dollar. So these, these three are like classic drivers for uh, the allure of, you know, gold or silver uh, as, as, as precious metals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's one. Second is, uh, if, if somebody is following a rebalancing, rebal- you know, uh, strategy in their portfolios, if one asset class goes up, then the only way to rebalance is to book profit and buy the Asset which has not gone up, and so if gold has got a place in the in the asset allocation, uh, if you know if you're holding 10% gold, 20% gold in your portfolio, with increase in Nasdaq, increase in other assets, you will keep buying gold, and uh, that's another contributor for uh, the gold uh, to be kind of you know uh, as in having a demand at all points of time, and and I think the third factor is that if you take a view on the interest rate, the outlook it is not expected to turn anytime soon, which means the low interest rate environment is going to be there where you are thinking, should I leave money in my account and earn 0% or should I just hold gold? Because even if gold goes up by 2%, I'm going to make, I'm going to make 2%. 2% is better than zero. So that's the, the opportunity cost being virtually zero, I think is, a, is another contributor for uh, gold as a very easy decision to make to buy.
0: Okay, so there is the fear factor, right, that central banks could devalue paper money, especially the dollar. And then there's worries about companies being able to recover to their pre-pandemic lives. Um, and then concerns that central banks have pledged to keep interest rates lower for longer. You know, what does this mean for the cap on inflation? So when we look at what's next for gold, do you think that it's going to be able to reach its all-time high this year, or what are you looking at?
1: If we see the uh, the, the the lack of faith in the monetary system, right? Somewhere, somewhere there is a there's a concern. Right? Governments are printing money, and that's the only way the you know problems are being solved. Uh, I mean While in case of U.S., you are seeing the the stimulus bill there is a discussion happening but if you see the deficits which are there in in countries they are only rising at a at a very very fast pace and how do you reflect this concern or or this lack of faith in the monetary system so the only hedge which is available is gold so it's it's acting like a hedge uh, against this uncertainty and the uncertainty is is not going to go away uh, very quickly unless some really, you know, two or three very strong events happen and uh, the entire kind of monetary system is reined in. But that's unlikely. So, uh, so, yeah, So it's a lack of faith, basically, in the in the monetary system.
0: Mm. Uh, we have seen some volatility in gold, right? Um, I think it was August this year. It, it, it peaked at 2031 U.S. dollars an ounce and then it retreated 8 percent. To a three-month low of thousand eight hundred fifty-nine. So, um, do you expect? Wh- what do you think among the drivers, if removed, is going to to see a fall in price? You know, uh, central bank buying. I would say that
1: would be one factor, and, I, and probably uh, that has contributed because they have uh, uh, slowed down uh, some of the buying of the gold so they did go on a spree uh, before uh, the coronavirus so i think uh, end of last year early part of this year there was a lot of buying from central banks and that has slowed down so if uh, i think that is one factor which uh, can add or can can at least uh, provide that uh, uh, you know reduction in demand and keep the price at least range bound and stable and allow people to trade as well and not just have a one-way journey so if you see 1500 to 1700 was a move yeah which nobody got a chance to enter it just like you know it it just in a moment it happened yeah so so yeah i think central banks uh buying uh, gold buying is going to play a
0: role here a great point um where do metals stand in your portfolio and what's the story for silver do you think it's on a run as well Actually, silver has the other advantage, right? So, it has all the factors that affect gold. And
1: I think roughly about 50% of silver goes for industrial uh, uh, uses. Exactly. And, yeah, so with the solar uh, industry being a big consumer, Mm. uh, that's, that's an even stronger story for silver.
0: Yeah. I think so. That's why we did a show on silver yesterday. All right, let's move on now to um, tech IPOs. Where are they heading? Apparently, Europe struggled to produce many notable IPOs in the tech space, in contrast to a few years ago when we saw Spotify, we saw Aiden, their payments processor. So you know, unlike the the U.S. and China, uh, there seems to be some underlying issues. We're not seeing as many so-called unicorns being produced by Europe is there is there a lesson there for investors? I mean, definitely the European
1: regulators are worried about it uh, and then they are really trying to do uh, to to kind of boost this whole thing and uh, uh, I mean they are trying to do it by giving some kind of uh, you know uh, tax benefits or benefits to the founders over there. In, in, in Europe, um, I, I don't know whether it's a problem. To be very honest, I don't know if it's an issue with the tech IPO or it is just the, the fact that the, uh, Europe as a sector is, is not on the radar. There isn't that much uh, you know, local demand. Mm. And, and, and from an IPO's point of view, if I'm not confident of a success, then why would I do it? I mean, like Spotify is a Swedish company, but they went for a US IPO. Uh, Farfetch, which is a UK-based retail, again, went for a U.S. IPO. So these companies are going to U.S. or other markets just to ensure that they are successful. And um, the amount of money, if you see the numbers, I think uh, they have raised close to just about $650 uh, compared to what uh, the uh, the companies raised in uh, U.S., which is in billions.
0: Mm. So speaking so, of, of the tech IPO space, so lots of cheers uh, when when we looked at the potential listing of NanoFilm Technologies when that news was released. You know, uh, people saying this sets the stage for uh, IPO aspirants in the tech space. More diversity on on the board here. Uh, what do you make of the listing and what I it means think for SGX?
1: It's it's a uh, fantastic news. I think it's a very very strong uh, you know event that is happening. And the fact that that it has got so much of institutional support—I I mean, that is something which is really—I I saw the list of the, you know, institutional um, uh, cornerstone investors there. It is pretty impressive. Yeah. So, yeah. I think for the retail investors, it is a great thing because one, it shows uh, you know the the support that is there. Two, it shows the confidence, right? So, if a company is listing here, which means it also shows um, uh, the institutional confidence. I think the is also a is going to end up becoming a large stakeholder there. And uh, for uh, retail investors, you can get a piece of that action and uh, participate in that. I think it's a very, uh, very positive uh, development.
0: Yep. Cornerstone investors have agreed to subscribe uh, more than 50% of the offerings, so around 217 million million strong, as you say, but that does leave space for retail investors to come in. So reason to cheer. So Nil, as always, just terrific speaking with you. What's on your playlist? Uh, actually, I was looking for some kind of a
1: sign uh, in terms of the uh, either the U.S. elections and the markets. Are they going to correct? Ah. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So ah. that's you too. <laughs> ah.
0: So if you find a sign, please ah. do let me know because I really don't know what's happening. <laughs> well, you might have to listen to some Prince. Sign of the Times. Okay. Ah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Thanks for joining us, Swapnil. Swapnil Mishra is head of private wealth at Crystal AI. We're always curious about, you know, what his playlist reveals about markets as well. Thanks so much, Swapnil. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.